0: Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives, from our financial life, to our relationship, to our kids, to our health. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. And in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Rachel Ellison. I'm an executive coach and management consultant who works with companies big and small to design workplace policies that work for all employees. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host Jennifer Owens. But on this special episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Serene Noor Ali, co-CEO of Sleuth, a guide for early childhood health that helps parents identify solutions, resources, and cures through shared stories and smart technology. Serene is an award-winning growth strategist who started her career at the US Department of State as a public servant and diplomat, helping execute President Obama's initiatives in entrepreneurship, education, and innovation in the Middle East and South Asia. She's also a startup advisor and founder of EdTech Women. I am very happy to have you here today, Serene. Welcome. I am so happy
1: to be here with you, Raquel. It's like a culmination of so many years of friendship coming back to
0: this. So thank you. It's an honor to have you. So I want to start by talking about a powerful essay that you wrote about being a mom of a child with special healthcare needs in the Riveter. I'd love to use that as a starting point. So you wrote, mothers of CSHN are not an acknowledged group of caregivers. Whether our child has asthma or is autistic, Many people dismiss our child's health journey as we fight to get personalized care in health and education systems. We balance this existential need to be seen with the counterweight of fending off stereotypes and finger pointing. The mountain of bias and nonstop advocacy is even harder to climb if a parent or child is a person of color. And you note that 20% of children in the U.S. have an ongoing health issue related to physiology, development, behavior, and or mental health. And this percentage is rising. So can you talk to me about where does this invisibility that you're referring to stem from? Oh,
1: it's such a good question. I think the invisibility is tied to parenting culture and this idea that when we're parents, we have to produce perfect kids or at least pretend that we're perfect kids and maybe that, you know. Maybe you know because it's this idea you know maybe it's this idea that we're in charge of them right and anything where they may not be at their best whatever that's defined as means that we're not doing a good job and that can be mm. heavy
0: really heavy yeah
1: it's just a lot of pressure like and I think because women tend to be the caregivers and in charge of their children's health and you know a lot of women have kind of this perfectionist syndrome, for lack of a better word, it comes out even more. And so you feel like if I tell someone that there might be, you know, my, my child is facing a challenge then that person just might shame me.
0: Wow. Yeah. What does that feel like to have that experience?
1: You know, it's hard. Like I, I am pretty strong minded. So like a lot of stuff like that doesn't bother me. I have pretty strong self-esteem when it comes to how I raise my children. But I think There's also the aspect of not wanting to share because, you know, you put on this emotional armor every day to get your kids, the therapies they need, the medical appointments that they need. Why would you opt into a situation where someone's going to like talk about how great their kid is, right? Like you're just not going to do that either for your own sense of self. And that can be really tough because some of the toughest moms I know are the ones Whose families are facing health challenges. And you have to survive as the primary kind of linchpin in that family.
0: Right. There's a, I'm trying to think of the theorist who said this, but there's, I'll put it in the links to this episode. She talks about the mask of motherhood and what we do to protect ourselves from other moms and what that experience is like and how we get our strength. Yeah. Really interesting. Interesting question. So from your experience as a mom of a CSHN, am I saying that right? Yeah. I mean, the the whole question around those identity
1: markers is also pretty interesting. I mean, I don't, I never really know what to say. My daughter has special needs. Some people have children who have like medical needs. I battle that right now with my business about how do we talk about it? And to be totally transparent, I am still playing around with phrases for my own situation.
0: Got it. So can you tell me a little bit more about Sleuth, your company, how you came to found it and what's happened since? Yeah.
1: The name Sleuth comes from parents' you know pursuit of the right information for their child. And it also means a family of bears. So it's this idea that as a parent, you're kind of the mama bear or the papa bear really trying to protect your cub. And do what's best for them. And what we do is we gather information from parents of similar children. And we turn that into data points so that you make well-informed decisions for Your child's own health journey. And it's inspired by the fact that I used to spend hours on Facebook groups across symptom groups, across condition groups to find out what information was most relevant for my child and what she needed, what kind of therapies, what kind of doctors, you know, what should I be asking the school? And there are a lot of communities for parents that focus on the community and the social connection and what we focus on is the data exchange. and So we have the position that parents are experts in their own child, and they have a set of information that is critical health data. You know, and mm-hmm. like I think about our own situation, like one of my specialists that we go see for my daughter, she doesn't know What therapies she receives, she relies on me to get it because the therapy system and the medical system are fairly divorced. So I become the hub of that information. Wow. I'm not only the hub, I can, the information I have gives interesting information about outcomes, right? So like, did that speech therapy work or not? The medical Mm -hmm. system does not have that information. I have that information, right? right? And that is a really interesting possibility for data like how do you you know it's like the things even like what kind of mental health interventions might help a child with speech delays it seems really obscure but it's not right and mentoring the parent means we can make some of that data visible and that's important
0: yeah what kind of stories are people sharing
1: yeah it's such a good question So there's always a theme of a parent struggling to get a diagnosis from their primary care physician, which I find really interesting and kind of disheartening because it's not really the fault of the physician. It's the medical care system that kind of says, you know, when your child is developing, let's wait and see. But 45% of those kids that need that early intervention, they're not getting it because that protocol isn't right for them. Right. So a lot of our stories start out saying, I, I went to my pediatrician and they told me to wait and see. And then they go through all the symptoms and then it escalates. And then finally they get a diagnosis four years later. And that diagnosis is not the end of the journey. It just lets them start <laughs> on getting the right kind of interventions for their child. And it's uncanny how no matter what childhood condition someone is facing, whether it's something like MISC, which is a condition that some children who have COVID can get, or if it's a developmental Mm -hmm. delay, there's something that happens in that first point of primary care where they're not getting the information that they
0: need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was saying to you earlier, this topic, and we were talking about how personal this topic can be for folks as they've had different experiences related to this. And my brother has Down syndrome. And I think about the experience my parents had when they first saw a primary care physician and the kind of, you know, the kind of response that they got and the kind of initial news that they had to manage and cope with and, and how much they had to do to become advocates for my brother. Mm-hmm. And how you interact with the medical professional who's giving you this initial, you know, read on your, on your situation your child's health and how you have to drive that process forward.
1: Yeah. And and that word drive is so common in our
0: stories. So we
1: ask parents, what advice would you give? And there's two points that always come through very clearly. One is trust your gut. And the second is that you are driving your child's health. And there's always a turning point when that parent realizes it's them driving and not the medical system. And mm-hmm. to me, it's like that's the point of activation of the advocacy when you realize, oh, I have to ask the hard questions. I need to be the one that, you know, has a portfolio of information that I can show to my doctor. We had one mom who shared a story where she literally pulled up a peer reviewed journal article about what she knew her son had when the specialist was like, no, it doesn't look like that. And she does that regularly. She keeps it on her phone. And her point is, I have to be more educated than the specialists. In part, because there's a lot of bias in the system and I'm a black mother of a black child. And so Mm -hmm. he puts on full armor, you know, when she goes in and it's kind of that moment of knowing that you're in charge of your child is really interesting because you're always in charge of your child's health then, you know, until they're obviously old enough and can vocalize it and be this, you know, you know, drive it themselves if that's the case,
0: but it's pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, I know you said this was less, you had found that when you were going online and seeing these other groups that there was this social component. But I would imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, that there's a social component to Sleuth as well, that folks are maybe finding some comfort, finding some yeah. community in. It's such a good question.
1: So I'm going to take a little bit of a controversial stance. Okay. So we don't actually do that yet. Okay. We think that. There is a use case where parents need the information and maybe don't have the bandwidth to connect right now. The connectivity will probably come later. What we're trying to do is create a community of people who are information sharers. And so they get comfort from reading long form stories of a parent's journey where the parent Mm -hmm. will say, Here's my advice. And we think that kind of like emotional help comes through that. And it's important right now that we end up making this distinction to investors, because one of the points that I think that we're trying to design against is that when you go on Facebook groups, If you don't look like the majority of the person on the Facebook group, you may not be willing to share information. So the reason we're not doing community right now is because we want to make it more accessible to more people. And that means that people can join Sleuth without using their real name. We ask them not to use their Mm. real
0: name.
1: We ask them not to use their child's real name. And we tell them that they're in control of their information, which we feel like other platforms don't allow. Mm. There have been mothers who have reached out to me you know, privately and say, I really believe in what you're doing because I don't like telling people about this. And particularly families of color, you know, the Facebook groups that I go on, a lot of families of color don't engage in the same way. And, you know, there might be obvious reasons and less obvious reasons. One of the obvious reasons I see is that sometimes if English isn't your first language or Mm -hmm. you're talking about medical bias in the system, some people don't believe you. And mm-hmm. I want to take away that kind of, we want people to get good information right now. We will build a community later once we really figure out the best way to make sure that people's information is accessible to other people.
0: Got it. Can you talk a little bit more about the experience of a parent of color, a parent of a child of color in the system and what, how it differs? Yeah, Sure. So it differs for different
1: people, right? Like my personal experience is probably counterintuitive, but I'm South Asian and we have a doctor, a male South Asian doctor that when I go to, I feel like he talks down to me. And I always ask my husband to make sure he's at that doctor's appointment and that he does all the talking. And that could be kind of specific to that one doctor but there are int- intra racial dynamics that are very hard to read mm-hmm. and then there are inter racial dynamics right when a lot of people's experiences and families of color if a mother goes in and someone thinks that she's not super educated or that she knows nothing about her child's condition will be talked down to mm-hmm. and i talked to a mother who had to advocate in the education system for her child. And the school said, it was during their IEP. And the school said, you know what, like your child will be fine. They have a mother like you. And she's like, okay, great. But what about other families who don't have a mother who can come during lunchtime to advocate for their child? Like you're making a lot of assumptions about access related to socioeconomic class. And she said to me, she's like, I don't consider myself as a person who has a lot of privilege. So given that, what about the people who are workers who either don't have the information they need or can't make it to whatever appointment is necessary? And that is devastating, the impacts of that.
0: Yeah, Oh, I can imagine. So how do you reach parents, Serene, who are looking for help?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We find the parents that are already sharing their stories. So I think, you know, they're just for a lot of us who go through anything hard, anything hard, there's this idea that I want to make meaning out of my story and I want to help someone else. And so we try to tap into that where parents are already sharing their stories and we ask them, like, when you come on Sleuth, we can amplify the story that you're already sharing. And the gritty gritty details are critical for another parent. Honestly, like I posted to Upper East Side Moms, which is a very large Facebook group in the New York area. And... You know, I, I'm obviously not going for diagnostic advice to a group, and, but I got guided to the right specialist. I asked the specialist the right questions. And so we ask parents to share that kind of information, right? You don't know what diagnostic tool your child needs. I had no idea that I should have asked my doctor for this one diagnostic tool until it was suggested to me on this Facebook group and is what eventually got me to that diagnosis. Wow. And so it's, th-
0: those details are critical. Absolutely. So, Serene, talk to me about how other parents can be of help to parents who are navigating this system.
1: I really believe it's in the sharing of information. I think that if all of us as parents felt elevated as experts in our own child, that would help, you know, saying, mm-hmm. wow, you have this experience that's rich and I understand where you are and let's like talk about what other resources there might be. And I think, you know, I'm going to extend that a little bit more to parents of kind of typical children helping and making visible parents of special needs children. I think that's really important. I think the language that we use about inclusion is critical. I, I keep going down to this phone call that I had with someone that I used to be very close to. I'm very private about our personal situation because I don't know how it'll be received. But this person Mm -hmm. was very close to me, and I told her, you know, like, I'm really stressed out that my little one has a speech delay and this and that. In the same conversation, she told me how advanced her child is verbally and how Mm -hmm. upset she was that her child didn't get to jump a grade in this thing. And, like, that left me so broken. You know, like, this wasn't Mm -hmm. just someone, this was like a really, really close friend. And I think what Mm -hmm. it left me with was, why am I not visible to you? Like, stop calling me. Like, you know, I think the word, the sentence that that person used was like, "I just don't know how you can do it all." Like, if my dad had died and then my daughter got diagnosed, like, I just couldn't do it. And it's like, it's 2021. You know, that kind of language is that you just don't do that,
0: right? Yeah, it's amazing that people feel like they can kind of qualify your experience that way and talk about
1: really. Yeah. And that hero worshiping is, it hides and makes people hide. You know, like I remember when I used to work at the State Department, I had the good fortune of working with a lot of people from the Department of Defense who were veterans. And I had learned that a lot of people felt like they were being hero worshiped. And some of them felt like there was just a lot of pressure. And, you know, on a lot of the special needs Facebook groups I'm on, moms are saying, don't call me a superhero. Right. Like, don't, don't tell me that God did this for a reason, even if that person may believe it. Sure. But right. what you're doing is saying that somehow there's something in me that makes me more innately capable of dealing with this experience, which is, and what people want is just to be made visible and accepted for where they are, Absolutely. which is also why, you know, the, the terminology back to the, the, you know, earlier in our conversation, that's why I struggle with the terminology because I want to, our experience to be accepted with the humanity that it has. I want my daughter to be, you know, accepted with the humanity that she has. It's complicated, right? Like I want her to define her story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people
0: want. They want to define their story in their own words. Absolutely. Well, thank you for creating Sleuth. I'm excited for folks to learn about it and explore. It's really exciting. And thank you so much for joining me today here. I'm so and glad we got a chance to talk about this. Likewise. Thank you for creating the space. It's amazing. Of course. of course. And thank you. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today and learning about Sleuths today on The Breadwinners. Whether you're a chance or a choice breadwinner, we hope you've enjoyed the time you spent with us and that you'll share your own story at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. How are you making it work? We'd love to know. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. Let us know what you think about The Breadwinners. Help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling.